welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Excited to have another episode lined up for you all. Before we dive into our interview, I do want to make a couple announcements and just get people caught up here. Uh, Kelly and I just returned back from the Homesteaders of America conference in Front Royal, Virginia. And man, that was a great time. We've, we've, that's become a tradition for us where we go there every fall. I think this was our fourth time. And really neat to to meet people that um, have a you know, like-minded approach to things, interested in farming, interested in uh, pasturing animals, and of course interested in being more self-reliant with when it comes to our food and other things. So it was a neat opportunity there. And, and I got to meet other people that raise pigs on pasture. In fact, some of the people that have been on the podcast before, uh, Jack Polner from the Mindful Homestead, got to hang out with him again for a bit and and other people like that so it was really neat to to meet people that I've talked to and hadn't seen in person for a while also got to meet uh, some other uh, representatives of of varying pig associations uh, pig breed associations so we're probably going to have some more of those on the podcast coming up soon just so we can get their take on the breed that they're the most interested in. And we also met some new vendors and talked to them about their products that um, were applicable to what we're doing here on our farm. Well, coming back here to the house, let you know what's going on on the farm. Um, I'm hoping to know here in the next week or so if our sows have settled in their first breed attempt. So uh, uh, those of you who listened, uh, we moved Squealy Dan. He's one of our two boars. We moved him over with the sows to see if he could uh, do the deed. And it looks like he has, um, he's definitely uh, attempted well. We've got good stand, um, got good penetration out of what I've been able to witness. So that's just what I've witnessed, of course, and I don't spend all day uh, in the pasture. So what I've witnessed is good. So we've got our calendar marked and we're gonna keep an eye on that. So we're hoping that to see at least two of them settle. Now, if, if Merida, who's our, who's our matriarch, she's really our farm pet, if she settles, that would be a big bonus because I'd love to get one more litter out of her, and especially this because uh, she's Hampshire Duroc mix. And if I could have a large black Tamworth crossed with a Hampshire Duroc, I'd really like to see what that line looks like. So keeping my fingers crossed on that. She's, um, she hadn't been bred in a while, so she may be past her, um, her prime, but we'll see. And I've got one other thing, and this is where I'd like some input from you guys. Uh, feel free to email me, or you can even post this on the Facebook group, the Pastured Pig Facebook group. But uh, so as you know, we've got two boars. So Mongo didn't make the cut. He's hanging out in his pasture, his paddock that he and Dan usually hang out in. So he's there alone. And I know, you know, obviously having a pig by himself or herself is, is not ideal being, being herd animals. But he hasn't done anything to attempt any breakouts or anything. What he's doing is he's really, he's kind of in mourning or depressed. He, he's eating very little. I've noticed he's starting to drop a little bit of weight. Um, he's still vibrant, moves around well, because he likes to chase me all over the, the pasture or all over his paddock, not chases and trying to hurt you, just wants to hang out because he's lonely. But the thing he does uh, that I find is so odd, and he's the only one that does it, is 
when I bring him feed, he will, and it's the dry powdered feed, he will literally come up, stick his nose right in the middle of that bowl, not take a big bite. He just kind of moves it around a little bit, and then he will lay down and roll in it, wallow in it like a, you know, like a dog lay, uh, rolling in a in a dead animal or something. It's just it's hilarious to watch him do it. In fact, I've shared it on uh, our social media, him doing so. But I'd be curious to see if you guys have had anything like that before with your boars, if that's um, one way they exhibit either frustration or loneliness or, or whatever. And I've even mixed it up, made sure I brought a clean bucket and came straight to him, didn't go to our sows first, just in case it was you know, something on the bucket or whatever. Uh, now, granted, it could be on my boots, but um, but there's just something there. He just He just wants to roll in it. So I thought that was interesting. But that's what's going here on here on the farm. And like I said, we'll keep you updated as we get into um, uh, reportable news. I wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you about the sponsor of this podcast episode. That sponsor is Rock Rooster Footwear. Now, I've been wearing Rock Rooster boots for over two years now on the farm. In fact, I still have my first pair and still wear them around the farm. Rock Rooster utilizes the Poron XRD comfort system, which brings long-lasting comfort and performance in a durable material that withstands even the toughest daily wear. They offer steel toe, composite toe, and soft toe, different styles like work boots, hiking boots, casual, and even tactical. They offer free shipping and returns, so there's really no risk to try them out. I want to recommend model AK669, which is a brown 6-inch waterproof safety toe leather work boot. Now, it's regularly $157, but for a limited time, it's on sale at $119.99. And for our listeners, if you use the offer code RTH2020, you can take an extra 15% off. That gets that boot down to like right at $100, so that's a great deal. Now, I like the composite toe because it protects my feet when Mongo or Squealy Dan, you know, are really heavy boars, if they step on my toes if we're hanging out in the paddock. But these boots aren't as heavy as a steel toe boot. The fact that they're waterproof makes it nice as well for those wet winter days in the pig paddocks. Our affiliate link is in the show notes, and don't forget to use the offer code RTH2020 at checkout for an extra 15% off. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Well, on today's episode, where I'm talking to Caleb and Laura, and they are representatives of the Idaho Pastured Pig Breed Association. And it's interesting to have them on. This is the first breed association that we've talked to, but I want to do more of these. And I'm trying to get more lined up with the associations and give the, the associations opportunities to talk about the pros and cons of their breed. So, um, you know, it's interesting, IPP, in my experience, you just run into people that either love them or they hate them. It's kind of like Cooney uh, Cooney and Guinea Hogs and those type of things. You kind of get these, and Mangalitsas, you kind of get this, this people that absolutely love them and people that don't like them at all. So I, I want you to listen to this and obviously give me feedback. You can email me and let me know, and we can even maybe do a follow-up episode of, of what you think about each of these uh, breedy associations as we get into them or each of the breeds represented by these breed associations. So without further ado, I will jump into our conversation with uh, Caleb and Laura. Today we're going in a little different direction. We are going to be speaking with two people at the same time, thanks to the power of great technology here. But I am I am going to be speaking with Caleb and Laura. Each of those are um, each of them are members 
of the um, Idaho Pastured Pig Breeders or Breed Association, and uh, they've joined us today on the podcast. So first of all, I'll say welcome, you two. Thank you for coming. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. us. All right. All right. In unison. That was nice. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> you guys practice that. Um, totally scripted. All right. All right. So first, I'll, I'll start with, with Caleb. Caleb Howerton. Caleb, you are the president and one of the founding members of the association. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Okay. And Been here since the beginning. Very good. Very good. And Laura Thome. Did I pronounce that right, Laura? Yep. I feel like I have a lisp when I say that. So, um, <laughs> right. yeah. So, so Laura Thome is is a board member, and uh, is it fair to say that you are the secretary of the board? Yeah, yeah. The secretary and scribe, just trying to keep track of our notes and make sure that everybody's on the same page when we're meeting and all of that. Yeah, I like the I like the word scribe much better than secretary. That sounds, I don't know, it just sounds more. Well, uh, Funny enough, we actually have both. Those are both positions on the board. So oh, no kidding. Okay. Laura is doing a wonderful job. We had a board member step down. So Laura is doing a wonderful job of taking up two roles at the oh, moment. Oh, secretary. They do, they do have slightly different. Yeah. We wanted to have a seven-member board. Yeah. Uh, so filling in a few of those extra roles. Secretary handles actual meeting from meeting to meeting type situations, You know, scheduling meetings mm-hmm. and whatnot. And then the scribe handles more of the things like this. So coordinating this interview and a lot of the technological stuff, making sure we keep everything straight. So very good. Very good. I I have learned something already two minutes in and I have already (laughs) expanded my knowledge base. Very good. Well, Caleb, let's start with you. So let's um, tell tell our listeners a little bit about you and, and your experience in pastured pigs and, and maybe even how that relates to the, um, should we just say IPP? Is that the safest way to, yeah, to address the Yeah, it is okay. drastically easier, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so start to tell us a little bit about your farm and, and your experience and your connection with IPP that got you to where you are now. Yeah, so uh, we've, gosh, I've been farming on and off since I was a kid, Um so not that old now, I guess, but, um, my wife and I both have raised several different breeds of pigs, um, and always wanted to have them out on pasture. We hate the idea of just a little dry lot, you know, um, but our farm has over the years raised, it seems like just about everything. I mean, we did chickens, we did dairy goats, we did, and like a decent number of each, 250 laying hens, 10 dairy goats at a time, uh, 30 head of sheep, Cornish cross, rabbits, kind of you name it. And so we always had pigs in the mix, um, all on about six acres. And the issue with that, trying to rotate all of those other animals around to regenerate our farm and then having pigs run around is, you know, pigs root. (laughs) Right. So yeah, trying to run any number of pigs at all, we'd have three of them and our farm is broken down into, into paddocks. And so three of them would turn a half acre paddock into, you know, a nice plowed field in a couple right. of days. Exactly. And that that's not conducive when I've got, you know, 30 head of sheep and a couple of little steers and a horse and these chickens and everything else, you know, trying to cycle through behind them or in front of them, preferably. But eventually it does come to behind them when you circle back around. Right. So that just wasn't working. We kept having to be like, oh my gosh, all right, the grass isn't growing fast enough. We've got to pull these pigs off and just kept dry lotting them. And then we'd be like, oh, we hate this. We'd put them back out and then they'd tear everything up. We'd bring them back in, they'd tear everything back up. And we kept changing breeds, trying to figure out what to do. And finally got to the point where it was like, okay, well maybe I think we need to just 
develop our own breed because we have a couple of these gals from different breeds that are, you know, they're all right. They don't root as bad as some of the other ones we've got. So we'd kind of thought, well, we'll just, we'll make our own pig breed. And in the process of looking this up, you know, and like figuring out which genetics to start working in and tracking stuff down, we stumbled upon Idaho pasture pigs. Hmm, yeah. And so we thought, okay, well, we'll get a boar uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll cross those with the gals that we've got that we like, cause you know, you fall in love with your stock. You've had them for a while. We've had those, we'd had those sales for a few years. Um, well, we went to the farm to pick up that boar and our jaws just dropped. Hmm. I mean, it was, it looked like a nice, I mean, not nice, but it's cause it was a thoroughly cropped short. They, they didn't really rotate very much, which lended even more credence to it because they, they weren't really rotating. And yet it looked like a mowed field hmm. and they hadn't been mowing. They had just been grazing. Wow. And there's just a herd of pigs walking in front of me, just eating the grass, not a single root mark in sight on what was at least 10 to 20 acres in front of me. Wow. That's amazing. And yeah. So we're just like, okay, this is weird. Uh, picked him up, took him home and watching him in comparison to our other pigs was like okay this is yeah no we're not gonna we're not gonna waste the time to make our own breed somebody's done it like this has already been completed um so we just we sold off our other stock that was probably one of the hardest things i've ever done was selling those sales um but we got them sold and started bringing in new pigs um and that was in oh i think early early 2018 like January or February of 2018. Okay. Um, and we have just been rocking and rolling IPP since then. Um, we try to be pretty active in the community, obviously by starting a breed association, a big one. Yeah. Um, but we, we fell in love with the breed pretty rapidly. They are, I mean, so much so that honestly, we don't have other livestock now. We are an IPP farm and we also do registered Great Pyrenees. Oh, and wow. that's it. Yeah. We sold off all the rest of our stock um, and we just run the Idaho pasture pigs now. Yeah, very good. Very good. So it's safe to say that you are indeed down with IPP. Yeah, yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry, I'm dating myself. I had to get that one out. That one's been rolling around in my head for the last couple of days. <laughs> very good. Awesome. Yeah, that's, man, that's 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 good. Uh, that's a good genesis there of how you got into that. And, and I love that. I love that story. Where are you geographically? I am in Southwest Missouri, near yes. Springfield, Missouri. Okay. Anyone knows where that is. Yeah. Down here in the Ozark Hills. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, good. Good. All right, Laura, let's switch to you. How about uh, some of your backstory there? Yeah. So I'm up in the Pacific Northwest um, in central Washington, where we have tons and tons of fruit around us, especially apples. We're kind of known as one of the big apple kings of the country. So I, our, our family has done orchards and things for several generations um, with our fam or my immediate family my husband and I we just started raising animals for our kids and we started with dairy goats and chickens and then by the time we had our fifth kid I was like oh man we've got all these boys we're gonna have to feed them somehow <laughs> and we started looking at ways of bringing in a meat product for just our family homestead and safety was a big, big concern for me. So I knew that I wanted something smaller sized. Looking at the pigs seemed to be the right thing. Um, but, you know, you hear all these stories of, 
okay, you can't go in the pen with them. They've got electric all around. Um, you know, the, the pigs are going to eat people. Sure, <laughs> and right. so trying to find something that uh, would be safe around our kids is a big concern for me. Um, at one point, we were looking at Cooney Cooney or the American Guinea hogs just because we knew they were smaller. But we didn't really want to keep a pig through the winter. Mm-hmm. Um or you know, at least not our piglets. Um, we did start with the breeding pair. We, so we found the IPPs. Uh, we brought in a breeding pair, and we just fell in love. We were raising out our own feeders for ourselves and our friends and family for a couple of years, and then we ended up just really investing ourselves in these pigs because we fell so much in love with them that it it, it became clear like. These guys have a huge niche and a huge market, and they're not even close to where they could be. Um, for ourselves as backyard farmers, it was like there's so many opportunities where people can be raising their own meat. It's so easy with these pigs. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Good deal. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Well, so let's let's segue into that then. But uh, Caleb and, and both, both of you already shared some of the benefits, uh, the characteristics of the IPP, but... Um, Let's do the old elevator pitch. So if, if we're on an elevator and you, you're trying to convince me to go IPP with, uh, with my farm, where would you start? What, what, are the, what are the key characteristics or benefits of the Idaho pastured hog? Oh, my gosh. That's honestly probably the easiest thing ever. Oh, very good. Uh, and most people call us liars. Okay. Because so, <laughs> it's, so, it's so drastic, right? right. Um, they don't destroy your fields. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's fantastic. You can actually graze them because they're not going to destroy your field. Um, They're docile and gentle. Our old, I think the last boar we had was a red wattle boar. And I honestly, I think he was a Duroc because he was a red wattle with no wattles. Like he got gypped. But as an aside, I didn't trust that guy within 10 foot of him. You just couldn't, couldn't get up to him. He'd grunt and chuff and charge at you. And he was about 800 pounds. Mm. So that's terrifying. Right. Even my even my old sows that were Burke, Yorkshire crosses and stuff, they're seven, eight hundred pounds. These guys cap out at about five hundred to five hundred and fifty pounds, absolute tops. Okay. Nice medium sized breed. I've had six or seven different IPP boars now, full grown adult IPP boars. Every single one of them will drop on their back for belly scratches. <laughs> and that's not just like I've raised all of those from piglets. I've raised a, about half of them from piglets myself. The others I've bought as adult boars from other farms. So from other management strategies and every single one of them will hit their back for belly scratches. I like, I don't know any other farm. Like Laura had said there with the concern with going in the pen, you know, sending your kids in there. I don't worry about that at all. My wife used to be real hesitant to go in with our other pigs. With these guys, she's got no worries. She just walked right in around them and they just stand there and accept loves and scratches and pets. Yeah. Um, so if you want a pig that's not going to destroy your farm, if you want a pig that is going to let you feel comfortable with yourself or your kids working in there around them and yet still gets up to a decent size, that 250 ish pounds that most folks want to process at in not that long, uh, it's about nine, 10 months tops. That's only a couple months longer than your conventional hogs. Mm-hmm. And it is drastically less than, say, a you know Mangalista that's like 24 months right. or a Kunikuni that's around 18, 24 months. So you don't have that long to wait. And it's half the amount of feed. 
we feed three and a half pounds per head per day. When we were raising conventional hogs, we were feeding six to eight pounds per head per day to get the exact same rate of growth that I get with these guys on three and a half pounds with just a couple months extra. Hmm. And that couple months extra, when you do the math, that's still several hundred pounds less to finish these guys out, even with that couple extra months. Yeah, interesting. So that was that was kind of the, the question that was kind of popping into my head was, so how how are they at foraging? So if, if they're not rooting as much to, to root out grubs and, and, and small roots and those type of things, how are they at foraging uh, things, uh, you know, grass, grazing the grass, you've said, but, uh, but other things, yep. you know, mast in the woods, those type of things? Yeah. Uh, so we feed an insane amount of mast every year. Um, I thankfully I've got some neighbors that help me out or I'll pay neighbor kids where I can't get any. I'm planting a bunch of oaks and stuff, but uh, I'll pay neighbor kids and whatnot to bring me over buckets of acorns and walnuts. Um, yeah. We're Southern Missouri here is one of the, it is the walnut capital of the world mm. for black walnuts. Um, so sometimes I'm just fighting our big processors to get any walnuts here, <laughs> but uh they still do absolutely fantastic eating those. They love them. I go through seven to eight truck bed loads of pumpkins a year. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, we, they absolutely love them. And why not, right? That's yeah. a lot of carbohydrates. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, they do. And then Laura's got all those apples up by her. I've got a apple cider uh, orchard up near us. I go pick up their pressings and feed that to them. Um, they do wonderful grazing on your grass which of course is going to be better if you're working on rotational grazing and you're working on having that diverse salad bar of forages and not just in my region of the world, fescue. Mm -hmm. Everybody's pastures are just fescue. But if you work to have that diverse pasture mix, you're working to build up those weeds and forbs that pull down those minerals from deep in the soil. They do fantastic. Mm -hmm. As long as you're working to have healthy pasture, they'll do great. Very good. Very good. All right. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Laura. Oh, I was going to say, I would add to that, you know, I mean, a lot of the composition of the breed is we're taking that old school, old line Berkshire and the Cooney Cooney, and both of them were just fantastic at being able to convert good, rich pasture into muscle and meat and adding that weight on. So a lot of it is what the breed is composed of and the feed conversion that they can get because of that. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's similar when you look at, and I'm sorry, Troy, no good. tell me to stop talking, you and Laura, if I start talking too much. I get excited about this topic, so, <laughs> um, but Laura's exactly right. Like, when we look back at pictures, and somebody posted a video in one of the Facebook groups a little while back, and it was from the, like, oh, gosh, like, 40s, maybe, <laughs> of some railroads, like, production for pastured pig recommendations, and they had a Berkshire on there that a guy was standing next to. And that Berkshire, we all paused and were like, oh my God, that's an IPP. Like, that's what we're aiming for was this Berkshire from back then. It was a full grown sow, only about uh, just past knee height, perfect short dished face. I mean, when we look at the best IPPs that we have, that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. Those pigs that were already there that we've lost. Now we see these Berkshires that got these long and not knocking Berkshires here, but they don't look like they used to. Hmm. And then same thing with the Cooney Coonies. And it all, that size just translates back to the same thing with Dexter's. You know, Dexter cattle have a higher efficiency ration than all those smaller cattles do than those full-size cows. It's just the same way with pigs, especially when dealing with, you know, pasture grasses as a forage. So, Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. What is the, um, 
Um, what is the lineage? I mean, how far back does a register, does the registration for IPP go? I mean, are we talking decades? About 2012 is when it was released to the public. Okay. So yeah, a little, little over a decade now. Um, but they started doing the breeding work in about 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you say it's rooted in Berkshire? Uh, so Old Line Berkshire, Old Line Duroc, and Cooney Cooney. Gotcha. Okay. The original three mixed in. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right. And the uh, developer of the breed was very particular when they were looking at which animals they're going to be building the breed up of. They didn't pick just any Cooney Cooney. They really wanted the big, meaty ones. And then for the old line, they picked some of the top. Like, I think they're, if I remember, Shelly was saying that the Berkshire she brought in was just recently imported from um, England or the British area yep. when she was looking at that. So, I mean, these she really researched which ones and had certain characteristics that she was looking to use in the composition of all of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So you've talked about, uh, you've talked a little bit about some of the feed conversion and I want to talk a little bit more about uh, finish weight and time. So you're saying about eight to nine months. Um, Caleb, you said about three and a half pounds. About nine to 10 months. Nine to 10. Okay. And Mm -hmm. about three and a half pounds of feed in that situation. Um, Yep. And you're, and you're finishing about, uh, you say, you're shooting for that market weight of about 250. Are, are you seeing, is this, is the IPP considered a, a lard pig? Is there a large fat cap in this or, or what's the uh, balance? So some people will say that they are a lard breed and they're not. So when I think of lard breed, right, I think of Cooney Cooney or Mishan or something like that, you know, that is like just a lard ball. <laughs> like right. no offense to it, but that's what they are. And there was a, there was a time and a purpose for that. But then on the on the opposite end of that spectrum, when I think of a uh, a meat breed or you know a uh, a bacon breed hog, like I'm thinking of those real conventional. I mean, like you look at a a real good production line Duroc or something that is just solid muscle, mm. and the IPP really lands somewhere right in the middle. Um, you've got some of these guys, the a nice perfect stereotypical IPP that we're all aiming for in our breeding systems is going to be right in the middle of that. We want a little bit around, but we don't want it to be just solid muscle and lean, and we don't want it to be just solid fat. We want that nice middle build to them. Right, yeah. Yeah, good deal. And uh, so you uh, talked about the temperament, uh, very, very docile. How, how are they when it comes to to mothering and their farrowing? So are, are they, they tend to be good mothers? Is there extra steps you have to take when you farrow on farm? Uh, pretty decent i'd say um i know laura's just had some litters mine are still i'm still waiting on this fall's litters to come in but honestly most seasons i can crawl inside a little a-frame shelter with my sows while they're fairway mm. and have no fear and i did not feel that way with my old hogs because yeah you uh, that's not something i would do with any of my old hogs but with these guys you know i've had gosh i don't know how many litters now we've got eight sows and we've bounced around between four and eight since we started over the last four years, two farrowing seasons a year. So well over, Oh, I'm not going to do the math on that right now, but quite a few litters. Um, and I've crawled in there with just about every single one and never had an issue. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. How about litter sizes? How those, how have those turned out? Uh, The average litter size for the breed is the eight to 10 
um, piglets per litter. We have had some that are, you know, upwards hitting of 15 or 16, but by that point, you start really seeing the moms get run down. So we're, we're shooting for about 10 in a litter. You know, the gilts first time ones will be a little bit smaller, um, but 10 seems to be the right amount for these guys. And um, that's pretty close to the average. I've got a story for you when it comes to safety and farrowing. Um, you know, I've got a lot of little kids and little boys. Little boys like to run around. Uh, and we had a gilt, just had her litter last night, first time mom. And my little boy's running around. I'm doing a little farm tour and showing some of the animals. And he hops over the electric fence and runs right into the calf hutch that we're using. And this is a first time mom. She's got nine babies on the ground with her. And I'm panicking, mm. like, oh my gosh, this is the end of my kid. <laughs> and he pops his head right out and is like, mom, there's piglets, you know, look at, oh, come show these guys. Like the pig would just laid there, no big deal. She didn't care at all, but I'm like calling my kid, like, let's go get out of there right now. <laughs> you right, know? right. Yeah, um, that, that's great. I mean, that, that definitely goes yeah. a long way when you have little ones on the farm for sure. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like obviously the the breed sounds sounds impressive, and I was looking at the website and, and kind of looking at some of the the key points of confirmation, and and we'll get into the association here a little bit. But it it sounds like they're you know they're very specific things that you look for in identifying that breed and maintaining the the. the the clean lines of that breed. But tell me a little bit about the snout. I know that was one of the key points there, and, and maybe that's indicative of why they don't root so much because of the formation of the snout. Laura, I'm going to let you go. I've talked way too much so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that is the big thing with the snout. You know, the snouts that pigs have these days, um, I've read different stories about why they're longer and narrower. A lot of it was maybe once they moved inside, trying to get better access into the feeders, whatever the case may be, snouts of pigs have changed uh, a lot over the last few decades. And so we're just trying to work back to, uh, like Caleb was saying earlier, that original pasture pig where they have the dished snout. Um, and so if they did dig into the ground, all the dirt's getting pushed into their face. And they, so it really discourages them from trying to dig any craters. Mm. Um, so a nice, shorter, medium dish snout uh, shape that it allows them to get better access to the grass and to clip the grass without, uh, you know, it kind of naturally discourages the rooting because they get dirt pushed up along their eyes and everything. Well, it's kind of, you think like, would you feel better out there leveraging up a rock or a clump of dirt with a big old long pry bar or a dinky little trout, <laughs> right? Like you got these long snouts, they're perfect for just burying that thing in the ground, using that big strong neck to just lever up everything that they're after. Mm. Whereas these short little snouts, they can't do that. You know, they've got just a little bit of effort right there. And that's, I mean, that's not to say they're not still just as strong. You know, pigs are strong. <laughs> they can still get that snout under something and really heft it up, but they're not going to do with one snout push near the amount of work that another, a long snouted breed is going to do. So you're just, we're shaping the tool that we want to see. Yeah. Yeah. I find that very interesting because, you know, I, when I think of, think of a wild hog, you know, uh, the, the nuisance hog in the south, you know, when you see those, those animals, they're extremely long-faced. 
And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That, that, that snout definitely can, my goodness, that's not only a, a shovel, that's a trencher. And, and, and that thing's, yep, exactly. thing's going to be able to do quite a bit of damage. So, yeah, that's, that's interesting to see. And, and, of course, looking at the pictures of the IPP on your site, you can see exactly what you're talking about, that when you're only dealing with a couple inches of nose, it's, you, know, you stick your nose in the dirt or the water or the mud, then, then you're going to get an eyeful pretty quickly if, if you're said pig. So mm-hmm. very, very interesting. All right. Well, let's. Um, so I got to ask you this because um, uh, those of us that actively farm, you guys are actively farming these animals, um, and you, you really like this pig breed. It's what you've settled on. But there has to be. There's always a challenge with everything. It's a challenge with every animal uh, that that we farm. So, so what are the challenges you've run into with um, with raising IPPs? I know my biggest one is because they do have a little more of that fattier composition. I have trouble keeping weight off of some of my breed stock. It's so easy to get the breed stock overweight. And, you know, you're looking at um, reproductive issues, uh, structure issues, all of that with when you have an overweight pig, it's just not good for anybody. So trying to find that right balance has been my biggest struggle. And that's a really common one, like, because we tell people, you know, three and a half pounds or some breeders can really get it down to a pound if they're feeding decent amounts of fodder and things like that. But I've had there, you know, I mean, it's the same way in every breed of any animal. There are slightly different genetics out there within a breed. And especially with a young breed like this, I've had some customers that they'll send me a picture of a pig and they're like, oh, what do you think? And it's like, well, they're, they're obese. Like you need to cut back on your feed. And they're like, oh, I'm feeding two pounds per day of a 14% feed. Yeah. What do you mean cut it back? I'm like, oh my gosh. Like um, you need to, because you need, you know, the best fertilizer on a farm is a farmer's footsteps. Watch what your animals are doing with what you're giving and adjust accordingly. Like I can tell you all day long, three and a half pounds per head per day, but really it's going to come down to watching your pigs. So like Laura's saying there, you got to, sometimes you can just follow that real strict recipe and it's not going to give you the results you want. So you've got to, you got to watch it and adjust accordingly. And so one of the biggest issues we run into as breeders is we're telling people, this is how you raise this breed of pig. And it's not, they're not rules, you know, they're guidelines. So at the moment, the biggest issue overall, I would just say that ties that in with IPPs right now is education. Mm. Um, Getting these, because most of the people that are coming in are new people to livestock entirely and so it's us trying to educate people on how to raise these pigs and be a good breeder you know and being good stewards of this breed and yet since the breed is so young and the association just got formed like two years ago um there's not as much education out there as we wish there was Hmm. so that's why we're trying to really really push that because there's there's so much to learn uh with ipps a big deal is mineral um We've cut back, right? Even if, if we're doing that three and a half pounds per head per day, that is half the amount of grain that we were feeding our standard hogs. Well, you know, when they, those big agronomists and feed nutritionists are formulating their feed mixes, they're assuming you're going to feed a daily ration of that like six to eight pounds per head per day. So when they mix in mineral to that, they're assuming that is that daily amount of feed. And we could just cut that in half. So we cut mineral content in half. Hmm. And so many soils in North America are mineral deficient because we don't allow weeds to grow and pull those deep-rooted uh, minerals back up or those deep-rooted plants pull those minerals back up. 
So if people don't give that mineral, which in a standard hog out on pasture or wherever, they're getting that in their feed. But with IPPs, we're telling people actively cut that feed in half or less. So we're also saying cut that mineral in half or less. So it's important that breeders work to add mineral back into their feed to bump that back up, as well as working to build soil health so that they have more mineral available in their fields. Yeah. So that's a huge point of education uh, that is just constantly being hit with new breeders. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. I haven't haven't really thought about that, but definitely where you're you're supplementing feed with with other fodder or forage, or like you said, with that specific breed cutting back, that indeed you are you are restricting the amount of mineral there. So do you do you normally free choice, or you just supplement your no, feed? No, 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 no. Yeah. So, and then that's another one that people come up to because the mineral is such a big thing. Like people think you can, because they're not like cows, right? Right. You cannot free choice mineral hogs because they will get salt poisoning Mm. Uh, because their pigs are a lot like people. Uh, We love our salt. Right. right? So, uh, and they have a little bit less inhibition than people do. Uh, (laughs) We know what's good and bad for us. uh, And sometimes we'll stop. Pigs will not. They will just sit there and eat a pan of salt like it's going out of business. And mineral has a lot of salt. Mm. Uh, So really what you got to do is figure up roughly the amount of mineral that you're missing from your feed and give that. For most people across the country, that is going to equate around to 100 pounds of mineral per 1,000 pounds of feed. Mm. Uh, 10% then. So, yeah. Yeah. And so that's roughly what you should be adding back in. But again, it'll come back down to your uh, your farm, your management system. Um, there are a few of us breeders that have been doing this for a few years now and have built up and that are working to regenerate our farms. I go through maybe two, three bags of mineral a year. Um, and that's it, 50 pound bags. And I've got a lot of pigs. So it's just, I've built up mineral content in my soil but I could very easily just continue to be throwing out mineral if I just went off that standard prescribed amount. I watch the pigs, see whether or not we give them a little bit of mineral. If there's a little bit left in the pans, then I know that they're probably not needing as much mineral as they could. So we reduce that amount. I see. I see. So uh, other than that, are there any other characteristics you're looking for when it comes to mineral deficiencies? Is it is it a post-production type thing that you're, you're kind of doing a post-mortem review or is it something you're able to see standing out in pasture? I usually do it standing out in pasture. If I see that they're, you know, eating a bunch of those broadleaf forbs, you know, chicory, things like that, that I know bring up specific minerals, Mm -hmm. then I'm going to like, okay, well, they're obviously a little deficient in that because they are just, you know, when I open up the, open up the gate to a new paddock every week, if they go straight for those plants, then it's like, oh, okay, we've got it. Or they go for, you know, any of my coppice trees out in the field. Yeah right away before hitting the grass, then it's like, okay, they're deficient in something. We're going to go ahead and up mineral this week um, and give them a little bit. When I do feed mineral, I just watch if there's, thankfully our mineral is red. And so it leaves a red powder in the bottom of the trays. Mm -hmm. If there's a little bit of mineral left, then I know that, you know, they probably didn't need that much this week. We're going to dial it back and wait until I start seeing signs again. If they do start nosing around on the top of the soil, looking for roots, then I'll go ahead and start up in mineral because they're, they're going to try to find that mineral, right? And mineral is only found either in those deep rooted plants or in the soil. So if they don't have access to deep rooted plants, that next best bet that they're going to go looking for it, if they're deficient in it is in the soil. Very good. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, I think it's I think it's, you make a very key point there about the education of this. And, and I believe I may be citing the wrong quote here, but I believe it may have been Joel Salatin that said, you know, we're no matter what we farm, we're really all grass farmers because we have to be able to identify what our animals are, are choosing or not choosing. And it sounds like in, in your situation, you're you're watching. Are they hitting those dynamic accumulators first? And then that's kind of an indicator of, OK, yeah, we, we need to add some more mineral or if they're just just kind of going along, leaving some in the pan or just, you know, being, being just kind of chill when it comes to grazing, then you've, you've probably reached an equilibrium there. So the education of knowing you know, what they're going for and, and why they choose that is just as important as understanding the details of the breed itself. Exactly. Farming is a very complicated thing and we need more people that understand that it's complicated and are willing to continually learn and grow. So, yeah, very good. All right. Well, well, let's do this. When we're talking about education, let's go ahead now and switch over to the association because I think um, I think it's important for, for our listeners to hear um, just what an association offers. There may be this this concept that well, an association just kind of keeps track of breed records, and that's really all they do. But but your guys' association is way more uh, vast as far as services and, and, and options go. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Um, I just talked about it, so I'll let Laura take over this next section for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and so the IPP started with, um, first of all, the development. And then once the developers switched over to uh, White Bison Farm over with Jody in Wisconsin, she started the private registry, keeping track of all of the lines and data and sending out the official certificates of registration. So we want to be very clear, like that is still part of it. Uh, we are not taking over any of that. We are working together in kind of in harmony with what she's doing. Um, but as the association, we are a public entity that is working to help promote and educate and uh, kind of just spread uh, you know the the wonderfulness of the ipps around and um so yeah there's no stepping on any toes there's no um takeovers or anything like that it's all just working together to promote the breed very good so with the association, so looking at the website here, which you guys have a very nice website, very well put together and, and uh, seems to be very um, robust with information. So looking at, so at the, I see that there's a, a, a virtual show. There's, um, there seems to be some shows and score sheets related specifically to the IPP. So do you all have, do you organize a, an annual show to, to kind of, again, build awareness and just kind of build community when it comes to the IPP? Yeah, so that's what the Breed Association is focused on. Uh, our, our Breed Association is kind of weird because we have most breeds and their associations are their registries tied together. They're the same thing. With us, we are two separate entities, like Laura just said. So we have to figure out, like, well, okay, what exactly does the association do that makes it valuable and bring benefit to the breed? Yeah. So the shows are one of those big things. Um, our mission is education. And the easiest way to educate folks on anything, right, at least if you're like me, uh, being a visual learner, is to be able to see this stuff in person and build that community. So we throw shows. Uh, we did a virtual because it was just impossible at the time with COVID to try to try to coordinate and get everybody in person. Uh, but we have had two in-person shows 
and then the one virtual and we're scheduling our one for next year to be in person again. Um, and yeah, so with that, we're having to develop because our breed is so drastically different than most others and it's very specific. It can't just be, you know, a market hog class. Mm -hmm. So we're wanting to get fellow IPPs together from all across the country, or at least from those regions and evaluate them from animal to animal within that area, you know, and help educate the breeders then that are coming to that show to see, oh, so this is what an IPP should look like. And then we do talks during those shows. We do uh, demonstrations, um, anything we can to help build education and build that community. Yeah, very good. Very good. Well, well, let's drill down a little bit on that education because I, I think that's, man, I think that's so paramount to an associate or to anything uh, per se, trying to get people's attention to look at uh, uh, you know, a specific topic or a specific breed here. But drilling down on education, what other education services you offer? I see some lists on your website here, but, but kind of unpack that if you would, please. All right. Uh, yeah, Caitlin, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, so at the moment on the website, we have got, well, we've got these crowd casts, uh, that you're going to get to be on one of them in the next couple weeks here. Um, that's something Laura has started and I will, I will just leave that for a second, touch on the other things and let her hit that because she is, that is fully her. Um, other education things we are doing is, uh, we have got a forum on the website that is, I wish it was being more used. So if you are listening to this and you are a association member, please hop on that forum and use it. Um, we run a Facebook group that is just chock full of people constantly being able to ask questions and immediately get tons of answers, tons of community engagement. Um, so facilitating that Facebook group is a big one. Um, we coordinate during those shows to have different speakers there and all of the things that come up at those shows, all those talks are recorded and then posted on the website for members to access. So say you couldn't, you know, you couldn't travel all the way across the country. Like the first one was out in Tremonton, Utah. And then, uh, we had one all the way out here in Ohio and the next year's will be in Missouri. So, you know, you, not everybody can travel all the way across the country, but we still want to be able to put that education out there. So folks are able to, if they're a member, hop onto the website, log in, and go and watch those talks over and over and over again. Um, and then hop onto the forum if they want and continue to have discussions about that or hop onto the Facebook group and have discussions about that. Um, gosh, I'm trying to yeah. think of what other education things we offer. I yeah, feel like I, we're always adding something new, you know? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll say a comment real quick on your Facebook uh, group there. At, looking at it, it's it seems to be extremely active. I mean, uh, there's there's multiple yeah, yeah. posts in a day, 1,400 members, it seems. So, you know, that's a very, that should be a very closed loop because uh, we're not just talking about pigs. We're talking about a specific breed association. Yeah, so, a specific breed. Yes. And what's crazy is it's not the only IPP group. There are three other large or two other large IPP groups, one of which was the original association page. And then we moved over to this one. So this page has been active for less than a year. Yeah. Oh, excellent. So how important, over here, maybe. so how important, I know this is kind of a dumb question or an obvious question, but how important is community uh, you know, pairing up the community of IPP uh, farmers across the country? Well, you know, what are all the benefits of that? If people don't see the obviousness in that exceedingly oh go ahead Laura sorry yeah I was gonna say I'll take this one um because I'm coming from a background where I'm not very familiar with the all the aspects of raising livestock um so for me 
the community was where I turned to to get a lot of my information. Um, and I started right with breeding stock. Um, so, I mean, what's normal, what's not normal with farrowing? What exactly does a good pig look like? You know, you want to be able to ask the stupid questions and be that person without feeling like, um, you know, the stupid person. And, and I mean, there is, there really, in this community, there's no stupid questions. The only stupid question is the one that's not asked. Um, because we know that these pigs with their niche, they're really hitting um, people who aren't familiar with raising livestock. And so to be able to come in and be new and ask all of these questions, like it's uh, really important to have the group around you that are supporting you and working with you and not, um, yeah, not talking down or condescending at all. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think, oh my goodness, yeah, I think about all the opportunities as each of us explore uh, the nuances of our own farm and, and, and then be able to share that experience. You may be able to help somebody avoid the same mistake or you, know, you think about what's just the value and information. So just some of the information, Caleb, that you provided and the lore that you provided, somebody may be listening and say, wow. I've never thought of that. Yeah, I've never thought about watching what my pigs eat on pasture to see if there's a mineral deficiency there. So just just in discussing uh, these type of, of points really helps build the community, shares that data, shares that knowledge, and then hopefully somebody can you know, can learn from that and, and be able to avoid a mistake or, or even a costly lesson at that point because of this information shared through community. Roy, do you mind if I, I just hop in right here real quick because I don't want to I don't want to shoot too past that education spot real quick. And this seems like a good tie in. Uh, Laura, could you hit on the Crowdcast stuff? Because that is the biggest way at the moment that we're having community help build that education. And I don't want that to get missed if possible. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, with the Crowdcast, um, it's something that we're able to do live where people can join in and stream and ask questions. Um, we can do sit down interviews like what we'll be doing with you, Troy, uh, tomorrow, I believe is when we're doing that. Yeah. And, or I can be out in the field with my piglets where I'm talking through, okay, my piglets are three weeks old and this is exactly what I'm looking at when I'm trying to decide which ones are go on, going on to be the breeders because they are exemplary and they show, um, uh, a lot of the traits that I'm looking for when I'm looking for the build of a pig hmm. or which ones are like, okay, that one's going to be a, a feeder or a meat pig. Um, and just helping talk through all of that and being able to offer those kinds of services, um, connecting people, you know, Crowdcast is it's very similar to Facebook or YouTube, but I feel like it's um, a little bit outside of some of the things, you know, Facebook Live, you never know what's going to get targeted or tracked or right. um, taken down. Um, so Crowdcast allows us to have just kind of that outside platform. And um, instant replays, good quality video for the luster out in the field or my doing some of my stuff out uh, on cell service. And so the video quality doesn't get picked up quite as well. But, you know, that's the goal. <laughs> Yeah. So, so how often do you how often do y'all host a crowdcast? Yeah, uh, at least twice a month. Hmm. Um, and so the next couple of topics that we're going to be trying to put out there will be farrowing in the winter, getting ready for farrowing, what's normal for a sow after farrowing, 
and then water setups and trying to prepare our community for, you know, what's coming next, yeah. what's on all of our minds and what are we trying to get ready for? Very good. Very good. And the biggest kicker with that being is that this isn't just stuff that is, you know, thrown out there. And if you didn't catch it live, you're just, you know, kind of out of luck. This is that stuff that is saved and recorded and uploaded to the website so that members can access that at any point in their history. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's talk about that real quick. So when it comes to membership, what are what are the costs? What are the, the different brackets and, and what are the um, what allows you to be a member? Are there exclusions? You, do you have to have a certain number of, of head? Do you have to are there prerequisites to be a member? Explain that to us, if you would. Own a registered IPP in your name and pay the annual membership fee of 50 bucks. That's it. Sounds simple. <laughs> yeah, not hard. We wanted to make it as accessible to every breeder as possible. All right. Very while good. still being able to, you know, pay the expenses of running a nonprofit. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, those never end, do they? No, and they add up, man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Goodness. All right. So I, I do want to point out one more thing, and, and this, this kind of comes back to the education element of the, the website. I, I appreciate this one page that you have. It's your confirmation page. And I'm not saying confirmation, like you're confirming something. It's confirmation. Uh, and, and it's, I, I just like the way it's laid out. So we go through this page and there's there's head confirmation and talking about the ears, the eyes, the waddles, uh, the back, the top line, the bottom. And you're showing acceptable and unacceptable. And I think, uh, wow, you know, if, if everybody had that for their specific breeds and they wanted to look and say, hey, if we're just trying to maintain the integrity of this breed and there was a resource like this for every single breed line that was easily accessible and showed these things, it would be amazing. I mean, I, I just I just love it. I've been sitting and flipping through this and I love. Well, that was we saw. So like I said, we raised uh, registered Great Pyrenees and the Great Pyrenees Breed Association has something pretty similar, mm -hmm. but it's just hand done drawings. Yeah. Uh, and it's one one short page. And so when when we were making that page, I was like, okay, so this is what they've got. We need to take this a step up and make this because this is people's number one issue with IPPs is attempting to breed towards what our breed standards are. Right. So it was just, it seemed a natural conclusion of we need to make this as accessible and available to folks as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I, I like you said, being a visual learner, I'm the same way. If I can see something, then to me, that's light years ahead of, of reading and, and researching. If, if you can show me, it's like, okay, here's, you know, here's how we're looking at uh, teat placement and, and how to count, you know, active teats or inactive teats or inverted, all this type of thing. It's like, you circle this, don't circle that, cross that out. And it's like, there you go. So very, very helpful. Man, I wish I wish everyone would, uh, would run with that uh, type of information dissemination there. Very, very helpful. Thank you. Well, all right. So, um... I want to be uh, cognizant of your all's time. I know we're creeping up on the hour mark here. So uh, some, some closing thoughts from, from either of you there, Caleb, Laura, maybe both of you. What, what, do you, what do you like to see happen with the IPP breed in the next five years and with the association? What are, what are some of the goals here long term? I'll go ahead and start with that. Um, so my goals is to be able to really set forward a product that is very consistent across the board where someone can look at that pig and say, that's an IPP. 
And I, you know, we get um, some of our letters were still fairly new, fairly close to the foundation stock. So occasionally you get a couple of those throwbacks of the Kuni Kuni genes where they're just a little bit slower growing. I really want to see less and less of that where we just have a consistent guaranteed product where if you buy a feeder from me, you can know exactly when you're going to set your processing date and it'll be all set up. And so um, to getting to a point where we are breeding towards consistency and um, kind of a predictable product hmm. is really what I want to be looking towards. Yeah. I only want to like mildly interrupt you there, Laura, because um, I, I want you to go back to that. But that seems to be a huge thing for other pig breeders. That is their big bone point of contention with IPPs is, oh, there's not enough consistency. The breed is too young. They're not really a breed because of this. Well, I've raised a lot of other types of pigs. I've looked at a ton of other registered pig breeds. And you know what? A lot of them have that inconsistency that we're working very, very hard to breed out and breed towards that consistency. I cannot just say, oh, I'm going to go buy a Berkshire or I'm going to go buy a Cooney Cooney and find consistency. If I go from one farm to the next, there's going to be drastic differences, even in that registered stock of those breeds that have been around for hundreds of years. Mm. So that's not an IPP thing that we're, you know, we want consistency. We want consistency because as a breed, every breed should be aiming for that consistent look, that consistent grow out and that consistent temperament. So we're doing what every other breed should be doing. And I think because we have that, that point of contention with other other pig farmers that are like, oh, well, this is the problem with IPPs. We're doubling down. And honestly, from everything that I can see with other breeds, we're doing a no offense to other breeds here. I feel like I need to throw that out there, but <laughs> we're because it's something we have to work on, we're doing a better job of building consistency, I feel like, than most other most other pig breeds that I look at. So I don't want since she's talking about us trying to develop that consistency, I don't want people to be like, oh well they're so inconsistent. There's not that much inconsistency at this point, thanks to years of us working on this, compared to any other breed out there on the market. Hmm. Yeah. So it kind of dispels the argument, well, this breed's way too new. You just don't know what you're going to get because yeah. you're, you're already at that point. Because if I go buy a Berkshire, I don't know what I'm going to get. Right. I see some that have those shorter dish snouts that are, you know, what I'm looking for when I think that I'd want to go buy a Berkshire. Or I see a lot of them that are just these long, giant shovel snouts and are long and leggy. So you have no clue. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Well, well, if, if I have a feeling a good bit of our audience uh, probably doesn't raise IPP, maybe they're familiar with them. Maybe they've heard uh, some horror stories one way or the other, you know, misinformation type of stuff. So if somebody wants to, to maybe stick their toe into the, um, into the world of IPP, maybe not necessarily registered stock, but maybe try some feeders or, or just be able to visit a farm that maybe has them. Does the association have any information that would help somebody in that situation? Honestly, hop on the Facebook groups. Uh, that is the, I get a lot of people that shoot messages to our website and say, Hey, how can I get a hold of a breeder? And I feel like I just nonstop have to say, you know, either one, go to our members page because all of our members contact information is there. You can just send a text message to a breeder and more often than not, they'll respond. Yeah. Um, but if you hop on the Facebook group, that community is so great. You will get a response. I don't care what you ask. You'll get a response and you'll get multiple so even if it is just, hey, are there breeders near me who are willing to let me come out and look at their farm? 
Um, and there are so many of us that do have, you know, YouTube channels or stuff like that, that, or just our Facebook groups that we're all, or Facebook pages, we're always posting videos and stuff all over of what you can expect. Yeah. So. Good deal. Good deal. Well, all right. Well, I really appreciate you all taking the time to, to sit down with me and talk about this breed and the association. It sounds like there are a lot of exciting things going on with the breed and, and the association. And and uh, how, how can people, obviously I'll put some information down below in the show notes, but how can people find out more about this breed and the association? I know that's kind of redundant since we just talked about the Facebook group and, and of course, the website. Um, is the website the key place to find out information about the association and that breed? The association itself, yes. And then the community and breed, I would recommend the Facebook page. If you've already dug through the website, go to the Facebook page. Gotcha. Okay. So I'll list all that below there. Very good. Well, Laura and Caleb, I sure appreciate your time and, and thank you for sharing some insight on this breed. And thank you for all the work you all are doing. It sounds like you guys are, are very, very active and not only in raising your own pork and, and kids and all the other things that go along with it, but but managing this association and this nonprofit. And goodness, it makes me tired just to think about it. But appreciate all the work that you all are putting into this. Thank you so much for having us on, Trey. This has uh, been a great podcast. Oh, great, great. Well, yeah, thank you. I, all right. Well, I pray you have a good week. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Caleb and Laura coming on the podcast. It was good having that conversation with them. I liked, um, I like that dual interview. That that works out great. And again, I going to knock on wood to pray that our Starlink keeps allowing us to do that. But I think that just adds some additional depth to the conversation. But I appreciate them taking their time to come on the podcast. I think I was trying to go back through my notes. Now, granted, we've done this is 90 some episodes we're into. So I was trying to go back through my notes and say, I think we've had some IP peers on the podcast, people that were actually raising them on pasture and could speak into that. So um uh, if, if you're curious, you can obviously go back through our entire library of podcasts and find it because I haven't been able to find it yet. But um, I'd like to, again, like input from you all. Just give me um, just give me an opportunity, if you would, to uh, or just take the opportunity, if you would, to give me a thumbs up on this to say, yeah, I, I do like uh, hearing from the specific associations. I do like to hear what they have to say about these specific breeds and some of the challenges they face as well. So either send me a note, uh, Troy at redtoolhouse.com. You can comment on the uh, Facebook group if you like, and that would work as well. Well, as always, if you want to be on the podcast or you know somebody we need to be talking to or a topic we need to take on, by all means, use those same communication conduits to let me know. You can go to the Pastured Pig dot com website and use the contact form there as well to uh, request any of these things well i pray everyone have a great week and we will talk to you soon we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the pastured pig podcast to learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes visit redtoolhouse.com